The following is an exclusive presentation of News Radio KMAN, your home for K State athletics. This is Wildcat Insider with the voice of the Wildcats, Wyatt Thompson, and KMAN Sports Director, Mitch Fortner. K-State family, welcome to another edition of Wildcat Insider. I am Mitch Fortner, joined by Hall of Fame voice of the Kansas State Wildcats, the voice of the Cats, Wyatt Thompson. Our phone lines are open, 537-1350 is our number to call. And man, do we have a lot to talk about, including, you know, I do want to touch on K-State football. Got some big news over the weekend about a certain somebody returning. We also learned last week that a defensive player will be declaring for the NFL Draft. And, of course, the Cats split a couple of games last week and then the big one tomorrow. Even though, you know, Coach Tang did say at his press conference today, you know, hopefully we treat every game like every game. It's a big one. Show up like you love the Cats, not so much you just hate the Jayhawks. But it is a Sunflower Showdown in Bramwich Coliseum tomorrow. K-State and KU meeting up at 6 o'clock with pregame coverage tomorrow beginning at 5 o'clock. Well, White, you had a heck of a week. Call some games. You went down to Fort Worth on Saturday, plus a home game last Tuesday against the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Actually, let, let's start with uh, – let's go in chronological order because I do want to start with the uh, the game against Oklahoma State and that win over the Cowboys that got K-State to 4-0 in Big 12 play. Best start in league play in four, in, uh, in 10 years, 15-1, and a nine-game winning streak. I mean, things couldn't be hotter, I guess, for Kansas State, but it was a different look for the Cats. Because you saw back-to-back games where you saw really good offensive teams. Baylor, Texas, and then it's Oklahoma State. And they are a defensive team that just doesn't shoot the ball too well. A sloppy game. But what I took from that game, though, was, you know what? We just saw a different kind of team once again. K-State maybe played it their style, but outplayed them in their style. So I, I, I walked away. Yes, there was some... Some ugly things about the game, but it was a win. And it was a win against a team that's going to make things sloppy, probably game in, game out, depending. It doesn't matter who they play. Well, it is no secret that OSU at times has trouble scoring. They hang their hat on defense, and they're good at it. They also hang their hat on blocking shots, and they're pretty good at that. The game before they were in Manhattan, they played at home against Texas without their star center and the leading shot blocker in the league yeah. and still blocked six shots against Texas. So I really felt like K-State got a really good Oklahoma State effort, honestly. I thought they played decently well. For me, at the end of the day, the difference in this game was K-State's defense. They ratcheted it up a lot in the second half. The Cowboys were just 8 of 35. That's 22.9%. They were 2 of 14 on threes. That helped K-State overcome a two-point halftime deficit and win a really, really hard game. I'll, I'll be honest. After the euphoria of the wins on the road the week before, I worried about that game a lot. Um, and it was great to walk out of there with a win that night. And K-State winning 65-57, the game was still full of – Highlights. Oh, for like sure. Marquise Noel knocking down deep threes. He got an and one off of those threes. But I gotta, I gotta get this in. I, the dunk, the dunk <laughs> in the final minute, the alley oop, because K State was really needing to bucket. 
Oklahoma State, they were coming back. They were knocking on the door on the potential upset. And K-State needed some points somewhere. Desperately needed something. And when you thought Marquise Noel might be in some trouble, that half-court defense looked like maybe he's tangled into a double team. Kind of curls around it on the right side wing. And then he sees Keontae Johnson. He's waving his hand. He's like, he's like a wide receiver going down the field wide open. Hey, buddy, I'm right over here. He lobs it, does Marquise. And the one-handed jam for the alley-oop, one-handed. That was the la- – in a full Bramlage Coliseum, by the way, sold out 11,000 there, the loudest moment, thunderous dunk. Even though Naquan Tomlin had one of that nature, sure, didn't get that kind of reaction. That was an incredible play to wrap up a victory. Well, I was asked after that game a day or so later, where does that dunk rate – uh, in your all-time K-State dunks that you've seen in person. And it was really hard to to think about all of 21 years of basketball and not feel like you're leaving something out somewhere somewhere along the line. I've seen dunks from Jordan Henriquez and Jamar Samuels and Michael Beasley and Bill Walker and Rodney Magruder and... <laughs> I mean, it just goes on and on and on. A lot of I'm leaving certainly a lot of really good players out. Uh, Xavier Sneed had a few while he was here sure as an did. example. But that one, under those circumstances, and I thought uh, Coach Tang said it best in postgame, you know, that game is still very much in doubt. You, you know, when you're about a minute to play, you desperately would love to have a basket there. And to get that hoop at that point that way – I think it was just special. Everybody, I mean, it took the breath away of most people because it was so amazing. He's at the top of his jump, and as you described virtually perfectly, you know, one-handed catch, little cock of the arm, and kaboom, <laughs> and that was it. Wow, that was special. Well, for, I'd be curious to know from your angle, did you think Marquise threw it too high? Or I did maybe, it first. Yeah. Now, I, now, my angle was a little bit different than Coach Tang's. I think he was a little bit farther to my left towards the baseline. For whatever reason, he thought it was going into the seats. He thought it was way high. I never really thought it was going to be quite that far, but I felt like it wasn't going to be, and, and we know how good a passer Marquise is, certainly, but it might not be perfect or right on target, if you will, and it probably wasn't. It, it almost looked it was like a little bit behind him. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Uh, so I thought the TV angle, the just the you know the from up high. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I thought from that angle it didn't do it justice on exactly how hard of a play that was for sure. Keontae. Yeah, I agree with that. If you look from the baseline when he did see him reach back. And, you know, it, it's past a 90-degree angle, <laughs> and he throws it down from there. Yeah, it it no. was, from my angle, I was like, oh, my, I thought it was too high. I was like, there's no way. He threw it a little too high, but Keontae with his ups reaches up and gets it. And you, you mentioned it because when he throws down that dunk, I forgot for a second what I was there to do. Yeah. And I, it's like I, I was like kind of left speechless for a second. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I start to actually say Marquise Noel. I'm just – I'm flustered. It was such an amazing play. Now, if you're com- to compare it with other great dunks, that's a whole other conversation that we could go on for a while. Oh, for sure. 
obviously your mind first goes to uh, Cartier Jada, the dunk against oh, Kansas. Oh, I think, see, there's, yeah. that's why I say it oh, was okay. so, because the, I mean, that was the windmiller there, right? Yeah. I mean, that was but spectacular, I th- but too. I think, like, okay, he got that on his steal, and he's yeah. left alone. Nobody's around him for right. 50 feet, maybe. Yeah. And he windmills that in the biggest game of the year, and the place goes nuts. I mean, you, I don't know if you could really, you know, in that backdrop of the fans going nuts, the students. <laughs> I had the perfect view of that. But, you know, also Jada did botch that dunk twice the next season. So, I, I don't know. That, I mean, it, you mentioned Xavier Sneed in the NCAA tournament against uh, UMBC. He had a really great dunk. And I, I don't know. There are so many great ones. But that I think it's the dunk of the year yeah. for sure in a, in a season we've already had many highlight dunks. Oh, I guess that's what I would <clears throat> excuse me say next. I don't know if you're safe saying it will be the dunk of the year with as much basketball as we have left to play. Wait till tomorrow. We'll see what happens. Well, and, and and only because you have Keontae Johnson. You have David Gasson coming back soon. You have Naquan Tomlin. I mean, you have some guys that can that can hammer it, right? Um, will it be hard to, to top that one? Of course. Possible? Certainly. K-State, one by eight, still shot 50, uh, make that 35.5% season low, turned the ball over 16 times, out, uh, shut out in second chance points, 16 nothing. I mean, if you look at certain areas of that oh, bug yeah. score, yeah. it tells a story of K-State really struggling in this game. And that kind of transitions me into what happened on Saturday, where things did get sloppy against Oklahoma State. K-State was able to survive, and I and I mentioned last week on the show, I think they survived because Oklahoma State just wasn't a good offensive team who's going to come in and knock down some clutch shots. TCU really controlled the pace on Saturday. 17th-ranked Frogs beat the Cats 82-68. And after K-State's up, what, 11-6, it was a, a big run for TCU where we saw K-State just – commit two too many turnovers 20 in the game and it seemed like I mean I guess we could start there if you wanted to uh, because I know TCU did not pick up a foul till about what five minutes to go something like that in the first half maybe wonder like from your angle could you tell like maybe K-State should have earned some calls especially with Keontae seemed like every time he touched the ball put it on the floor it was getting swiped away well, the, yes, I think the short answer there is yes. I, I felt like, and it's easy to say this when you lose, right? K-State mm-hmm. hadn't lost since the November. Uh, probably if you just condense it down to the Big 12 games, so you're talking about a handful of games, five games to this point, didn't think it was as well officiated as the first four. Okay. With that said, however, we are, or I am, not in any way, shape, or form saying that the officiating cost K-State the game. No. But think about it like this. I'll just throw you some kind of somewhat staggering numbers out. After being up 11-6, to K-State gets outscored 37-18 to to end the half, and at the break they're down 43-29. to It's kind of like shell shock. They did not play well offensively in the first half. They finished with 20 turnovers. And I'm just telling you now, if you turn it over against those guys, they went into the game leading the nation in fast break points at 21.4 per outing. In this game, fast break points, 32. Yeah. And they got 26 points over K-State's 20 turnovers. So you combine all of that and then the fact that K-State – in the first half, shot just 
You're not good. And they, to be honest, I just thought they were off. They didn't seem, to, even with the lead of 11 to 6, I didn't think that they had that same tenacity and juice and toughness and set down a guard and, and really get after them uh, and attack the goal. But TCU was very much in attack mode. And if you, Mike Miles, when you allow him to get up ahead of steam, he is a tough engine to shut down because he is not only good size, but he's thick, he's strong. Almost equated to, do you remember David Hoskins? Oh, yeah. I always use this example because when David would get his shoulder into you, you were done. And Mike Miles is a little bit that way. Different position on the floor, but similar results. You either He's going to either score or score in an and one, or you've got to foul the heck out of him. Because he's strong enough, he's going to get it up to the, to the goal more times than not. And I mean, you better hammer him cleanly, but hammer him. It was yeah, a hard day. Casey couldn't match the energy, the the fast break stuff. That uh, certainly something I was worried about because I th- I had felt like in the previous maybe two of the previous three games, Casey had struggled against teams yeah. in transition. Two other thoughts. I think it's pretty obvious to say the first one, and that was Bebe kind of had an off day. I'm yeah. not blaming him for all of it. K State had an off day, but his off day I think correlates with Eddie Lampkin. <laughs> and the job that he did with 16 points and six boards. And then maybe the real key to the thing was Emmanuel Miller. I really yeah. like his game, man. He had 23 points. Wasn't spectacular shooting, but but I, I thought he was really good. I really did. And and they were, let's just be blunt, they, they led for 30, almost 33 minutes in the game and not quite start to finish. But probably for that 32, 33 to 35 minutes, they were they were the better team Saturday. Yeah, nobody was uh, – I mean, could you say that anybody was not having an off game? Other than maybe, you know, like in the second half, Ty, Tyke Green started yeah. to get to the hoop and make some shots. And it took Marquise Noel a long time to get going. And then he starts knocking down some shots. And, yeah. and even Keontae Johnson, where he was really struggling from the field early – a ton of, he had seven turnovers in the game. Well, yeah, and, and and all of that was trying to make moves yeah. for the most part. I, I thought they did a real good job of really frustrating Marquise, which kind of set K-State back a little bit because a lot of what they do is is through his ability to break down teams off the dribble. And I thought they did a really nice job of defending him. Um, <laughs> against that team... You have to be strong with the ball. And and I think Keontae was really frustrated. I think, if I'm being honest, I felt like a couple of times on those seven turnovers he was fouled. But that's not the way the officiating saw it. And so you take your medicine, regroup, um, and, and let's go back to work tomorrow night. And tomorrow night is the Kansas Jayhawks. Yeah, which and makes it hard too, doesn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. of course that won't be. That, that's a team that always finds a way to close out games if they're down or if they're up. Yeah. I, I think we learned that certainly against Iowa State. We've learned that against Oklahoma, OSU, uh, OSU. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Where teams have led Kansas and they fight their way back. Five KU games so far have been decided by one score. Mm-hmm. Keep that in mind as we talk. A lot of KU coming up. Uh, in uh, in hour number two, but coming up next, I thought this would be uh, interesting to hear back because both Jerome Tang and Bill Self had their 
press conference pregame for the Sunflower Showdown. Bill Self had a lot of great things to say about the Cats. We'll hear that next here on Wildcat Insider. Here in just a second, welcome back to uh, Wildcat Insider. Here in just a second, you're going to hear from KU head coach Bill Self, who adds uh, plenty of compliments about this K-State team this season as the Cats are now 15-2. And, you know, Coach Tang, why it had the uh, comment after the game, and I don't know if you heard it, but it was about, you know, this is definitely not panic mode time. No. We've lost just two games. Um, it, it brought up a good point, and I think we all know this, that just by how deep the Big 12 is, it is clearly the best conference in the country Losing whatever it was, you know, double digits to TCU. I mean, that could happen to anybody at any given time. Oh, sure, and will from time to time. But I, I, yeah. I did take away from this last this past weekend, the weekend of games. You know, the return trip to Stillwater, TCU coming back up here. Those are scary games. Oh, sure, they're all going to be scary. For sure, you know, we've got Texas Tech in here on Saturday, and if you watched them the other night at Texas. That game was decided in the last 90 seconds. Yeah, you want to talk about a team right now that is super frustrated? I, I, I'd be very frustrated if I was Texas Tech because they are winless to start Big 12 play. West Virginia, too. I mean, yeah, them too. They've, yeah, they've had they've been right there a couple yeah, of times. Both of those teams have had games in this league, and probably at least three of the five. I know Tech got blown out at Iowa State. I mean, it was like 84 50, it wasn't close. But other than that, they, they've really fought everybody, and so is West Virginia. That's the, the thing that I think Coach Tang was trying to say, look, you're going to lose some games in this league. W- did we play well? No. Make a lot of mistakes? Yes. Off a little bit? Yes. But <laughs> they're 15-2 and two and 4-1. and one. Let's just regroup. Um, and I don't think he's concerned about these guys like losing confidence over one loss. I, I, I think there's too many veteran guys on this team – to, to go there. I just believe that. Whether whether it's Keese, Keontae, you know, who name name the guys. Desi's been around a long, long time. There's a lot of guys, veteran people on this team. I, I think they'll be cut in and ready to go tomorrow. I think it was was it the West Virginia Oklahoma game I was watching where down this stretch West Virginia was just trying to do everything they could to lose that game, not hitting shots when they had them, not definitely not hitting free throws down the stretch. Maybe that was West Virginia. Well, the biggest issue for them, I'm just being blunt about this, they would not be 0 and 5 if they were a better free throw shooting team. They are not a good free throw shooting team. I think they were in that Oklahoma game, they were right there but on the road in a one or two possession game, you can't be fifty percent at the free throw line and expect to beat people. Yeah. Period. End of story. It's just what they are. Not a good foul shooting team. So the Kansas Jayhawks have just one loss on the year, and uh, they've won ten in a row. They they've now made it where K State was hoping to get to, which was ten in a row. Right. That's where KU currently stands right now. They visit the Cats tomorrow night, six o'clock tip. Few minutes probably after six. Oh, two with six oh two is official. Yeah. yeah. Uh, ESPN, by the way, will have the broadcast of that. Uh, John Shambi yeah. and uh, Fran, Fran Fashilla will be, and Chris Budden mm-hmm. on the sideline will be the broadcast team. But of course, Wyatt and Stan will be uh, right here on <laughs> K Man. Uh, and of course, pregame starts at five o'clock. Bill Self talked to his media earlier today and had a lot of questions about the Cats. 
think you guys have run, I think, three in a row there. Obviously, different teams. But what stands out about this team when you look at them as you get ready for tomorrow night? As, as, as far as K-State's team? Yeah. Well, I think they're a lot more talented. I think, I think that uh, uh, offensive firepower has doubled. You know, they lost Pack, obviously, but they've replaced replaced him with some guys that can really score the ball. And Noel's having a player of the year type year. Uh, Johnson is a, you know, uh, 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 if you see the second leading score in our league right now or third or whatever, he's having an unbelievable year and it's a great story. And and then then they've also recruited unbelievably well. Uh, you know, I I don't want to bash anybody's name, uh, uh, so I won't I won't say. But they're starting three man number thirty five. I mean, he's a pro prospect. I mean, he's an NBA prospect. Uh, uh, they they, they uh, I, I'm I, I'm really impressed with their with their talent level and what what the staff was able to do in a short amount of time. Bill Jalen's mentioned a couple times that the Missouri game can propel or prepare this team well for a game like this. Do you think that's fair? Is that? I think there's some similarities from an environment standpoint, for sure. You know, they were ready. Missouri was ready for us when we went there, and, and, and K-State will obviously be ready for us when we go there. Uh, so, yeah, I think from a, from an environment standpoint, definitely. I, I, I really think that K-State, you know, you, you, you lose at TCU, which a lot of people are going to lose at TCU, but – up until this point, they have been the most impressive team from a uh, beating and playing well at the hardest places. You know, the, the the win against Texas was incredible, and of course, the win at Baylor was was incredible. Nobody's had two better wins than that in our league. So, yeah, they're capable of of, of uh, definitely playing at a high level against anybody in the country, and they've already shown they can do it. And and uh, they'll be playing with uh, you know with with a lot of momentum in the stands tomorrow. So uh, it, sh- it should be a really fun atmosphere. Really. Fun. You, you mentioned Noel. What, what stands out about how he's played so far this year? Well, their, their entire team plays with uh, uh, a freedom offensively that, that, I mean, you don't see very often. I mean, they, they have freedom to go make plays and to shoot the ball. And, and, and Noel, you know, he, he gave us fits last year over there. He, he was, he, you know, he and Pat dominated the game the first half over there. Uh, uh, and and I, I, I love him as a player because, you know, he's scrappy and tough and quick and can get his own shot, uh, but yeah, we we've got to we got to limit he and Johnson obviously from having big nights. Uh, but they're 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 they're, they're sup- I shouldn't say supporting, but there are other starters and they're supporting cast off the bench. Uh, I mean, they're, they're it's it's much improved, uh, and they can all stretch it. You know, once once you once you uh, uh, make one sub or whatever, you're going to have five guys out there that can always be a threat to make threes too. Coach, on Jerome Tang, he's spent a long time at Baylor. When you look at them on tape and you've watched them get ready, does it look like Baylor? Does it look like something new? What, what, how'd you characterize it? I know they're doing some of the same things. It looks a little different to me, but that's that's not. It's also only been uh, three months for him too. To to, uh, but but I, I I see actually more freedom offensively. You know, the one thing about Baylor, they've done a great job, especially in the last four or five or six years, when they had guards that can make plays on their own, they let their guards make plays on their own. That's what he is obviously doing. You know, when, when they had Butler and, and, and Teague and, and uh, Mitchell and, you know, obviously Flagler and, you know, you just go on and on. When they've had those dudes, they've always been given freedom offensively to go make plays. I feel like they even have more freedom in Manhattan right now. But but defensively, I think conceptually a lot of it's the same. But I, I don't I don't know you know they'll they'll throw different things at you you know no matter no matter what when you when you coach at a place and you're the assistant coach and you can take with you 
you know, all the ideas, very rarely do you take them all. And always you have your own ideas that maybe the coach didn't want to do when you were an assistant. That's the way it is. And I, and I kind of see that with Jerome, too. You know, they're you know, playing one three one. They're doing some different things. That, that I can't remember Baylor doing those same type things. Coach, I asked Jalen if he thinks the guys in the locker room understand kind of the magnitude of the rivalry and how much it means to the fan base. He said if, if they don't, you'll make sure that everybody does. What are those conversations like? And then how much does Grady kind of help out with that because it's his first year, but he grew up with the rivalry. I'm sure they'll be excited to see Grady over there uh, – uh, when he first walks out there for warm-ups. So that, that, that'll be good for him. But I, I've always thought this, when CB played in it or or uh, Dean Wade played in it or, or, or a player like that, I always thought it meant more to the kids that were local. I, I, I always did. So, uh, you know, we, we don't have a lot of those kids, but – but, but but we we got we got enough that that it's going to mean extra. But you know they're good. What 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 do they rank this week? Thirteen. I mean the thirteen, and they're very deserving of that or better. And 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 uh, we're ranked up there pretty high too. I mean it it actually adds to uh, the excitement of the game, knowing that you the anticipation of it, knowing you got two really good teams playing. And and for us to win, we're going to have to really really do a lot of things really, really well. Uh, uh, but that's also a great challenge and fun to go into it with that type of attitude. There you have Bill Self earlier today with the KU Media. Uh, yeah, touched on a lot of things, obviously. One, the atmosphere. Yeah, it's going to be uh, quite electric. They're going to be ready for Grady Dick. I'm sure there'll be plenty of jokes. Um, of course, Jalen Wilson, uh, I think he was arrested once upon a time. You know, maybe you have a couple of signs about that. Yeah, the Missouri comparison, there's only one, and that's the atmosphere and how off the charts it's going to be. K-State's a more talented team than Missouri, I have to say, even though Missouri has been a top 25 team this year, which is a bit surprising. But um, appreciated all the compliments, and he's right. Opened up when it comes to the guards, let them do their thing. Marquise Noel is the perfect example of that in his deep three shooting. Here's what I would say to you. Keep that audio. That's the perfect scouting report of Kansas State. That how, how long was that? Five, six minutes? About five, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he said so many on-task things about what K-State is, how much better they are, what they're doing well. Um, I, I just have to be blunt and honest about that. I, I appreciate his uh, honesty and <laughs> all of that in, in talking about K-State. Very complimentary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, coming up in hour number two, we're going to get more of a breakdown of uh, the, of the Kansas Jayhawks, the Sunflower Showdown. Uh, we're hoping to uh, secure an interview with somebody from men's basketball. If not, we're going to hear from Jerome Tang, who had his press conference earlier today. And from what I under, from what I heard earlier today, it was also pretty solid. So but when we come back, let's jump to K-State football. Defensive player has declared for the draft. One is coming back. And that's up next on Wildcat Insider. Welcome back to Wildcat Insider. Mitch Fortner in the Hall of Fame voice of the Kansas State Wildcats. Wyatt Thompson, 537-1350, the number to call if you want to talk cats. 
football, basketball, whatever, feel free to give us a call. If you have a question for Wyatt, let us know. 537-1350 is the phone number. Uh, the football news, as the uh, well, the transfer portal will be coming to a close here in two days. Wednesday, I believe, is the, uh, the final day to jump in until after spring ball. If you wanted to declare for the NFL draft, you had to get in by today. Remember, uh, I, I, was, I was reading online, C.J. Stroud, the uh, quarterback of Ohio State, was like, I think is actually is uh, is Derek Young from Casey Line that brought this up that uh, you know uh, this kid hasn't made a decision yet and it's the last day. What's <laughs> going on with old CJ over there? His stock really went up. It sounds like after the performance in the uh, was it the Peach Bowl semis? Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. against Georgia. Yeah, with his performance uh, so good, he might not or uh, Bryce Young might not be the first quarterback off the board in the draft. Um, now with uh, the Chicago Bears getting the first overall pick. Not the Houston Texans. May sound like uh, Will Anderson might get the first overall pick in the draft. We'll see how that works out because uh, they have fields, right? The Chicago, they probably won't yep. go quarterback. I'd imagine they're going to be set with him for at least a little while. Uh, but this is a very heavy, sounds like, very heavy, very talented class for this draft when it comes to defensive end, edge guys, pass rushers, and Felix and DK Uzama obviously falls in that category as we learned last week Felix has decided he's going to forego the rest of his eligibility and declare for the NFL draft which I'll ask you why first of all did it come as a surprise that Felix decided yeah I'm going to go ahead and leave and and try to go pro no I can't say that I was surprised in any way shape or form honestly I kind of felt like all along that 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 was a possibility and I will say this, and I do not – I mean this totally positively here because I, I really love Felix. He had a great career here. I think he has a really good chance at the next level. But I also, in the stuff that I've read, and I'm far from <laughs> having all the answers, but there are teams out there in the NFL that love Felix, and there are others that think maybe he'll be a little more down the line a little bit, maybe second or third round or what have you, or, or maybe even fourth. So, you know, kind of, you know, back and forth on him a little bit. But I, I'm not surprised. I think he, he felt like he was ready. And if he's ready and willing and able, and I believe he is, then um, we wish him the best. I, I, we'll miss him, certainly. He's a very explosive talent. But, uh, yeah, he, I'm not surprised. Well, uh, what I was, uh, when we were talking about him last week on the show, I brought up, you know, I think he was my favorite player to talk to when we had a chance to talk to him on Tuesdays. He, he did a great job of saying a lot with it, maybe not saying a whole lot. Very good with his words. He's got uh, a little flair to him. Yeah, he, he was yeah. a little, and also a little bit more, you know, just more personal with you uh-huh. when you talked to him. He had maybe the best uh, Meet the Wildcats when I did that interview with him for uh, Powercat <laughs> Game Day. Yeah. Took it very seriously, had a lot of fun with it, but also just his talent. Uh, you know, I'm for some reason blanking on his name, but it seems like you know maybe one of the best defensive ends to come off the board will be the one from Texas Tech. And I'm blanking on it. Tyree Wilson is that Tyree right? Tyree Wilson. Yeah. He um, is a dude. And there are people that think he'll be in the top five. Yeah. So when I was looking at mock drafts, I had seen him going six, going eight, going four. I was like, mm-hmm. holy crap. Like, yeah. who knew that, you know, maybe Felix wasn't the biggest and most popular prospect at defensive end in the Big 12? Because you're talking about the defensive player of the year. Sure. But Felix finished this year with eight and a half sacks. 
Uh, he had 11 tackles for loss and 46 tackles, of course, his junior year. That's when he had the six sacks, and I'm going to stick with that. Six sacks against TCU really exploded in a big year for the Cats and then you know, proved to be one of the biggest forces when it comes to a defensive lineman because how often was he being double teamed? How often was he being held? He probably held in a lot of frustration a lot when it came to how so often he was held basically play after play. It's an interesting subject because not this past season, but the year before, that was as good a what I'll describe as a breakout season as most have had at K-State, right? I mean, he kind of went from nobody knew who he was to a star. Most people will say that he was not as good and not as explosive this year. I think he was as good, but he wasn't as healthy. And I think you said something there. And again, sounds like I'm griping about the officiating constantly. But I mean, when I'm calling the play and I can see he's being held and it's not called, that's pretty frustrating. Because normally you wouldn't pay any attention to that at all. But when you see it with he, when he's towards the backfield and he's being like yanked down, that's pretty frustrating. So I think he was better than people thought he was, but the numbers are not going to be the same as, as two years ago. Does that make all, all the sense? Yes. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe that's why he's a second-rounder. <laughs> the projections from what I've seen is like a, like a, like a Jordy Nelson, early uh-huh. second-round guy, uh-huh. um, not first-round. Maybe the difference is he didn't sell the holds enough. He wasn't flaring his <laughs> arms up in the air begging for yeah. the flag or whatever. Yeah. Um, but no, I, you know, feel uh, that he's one I'm really going to miss, and I, I felt like, you know, looking at the numbers and trying to remember what I can recall from certain guys' careers, those that played his position, the defensive ends, and also you'll remember this was a three-three defense, not a four-three base. Mm-hmm. Uh, puts him a little bit more on an island, depending on the play, um, and of course dealing with double teams. You know, going back to the 2021 season, that game against TCU. That left tackle that he continued to embarrass for 60 minutes is now playing in the NFL. Correct. And playing for the Detroit Lions. And playing well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it shows you kind of where he's at, even though there are, as I said before, some that – and I don't know what the breakdown would be, but I've just read that there are some teams that love him, and then there are others that are going, pretty good-looking prospect. May take a little bit of time, but he'll get there. So I think he is going to more than likely make the league. Uh, the question is, how much will he play early? How impactful can he be? And uh, <laughs> that, that's the, that's the million-dollar deal right there. And then we found out over the weekend, and this is – I'm absolutely ecstatic. I, I lose track of everybody when it comes to who, who has eligibility left. If you're a senior, do you have time left on your uh, – on your eligibility, and I thought Daniel Green was one of those that would be done. Mm-hmm. And I swear, like I, I couldn't find the audio, and this killed me because I, I swear I heard this correctly. Arnie Green, you know Arnie, yeah, uh, writes for the for the uh, Topeka Capital Journal, Salina Journal. I think he also writes for the Hutchinson newspaper. He's all over the place. I swear he asked the question, Daniel Green, is this is it is this it for you? And I swear Daniel Green said, Yeah, I think so. I I I would take that 
to court and testify. <laughs> yeah. That, that's exactly what he said. And then he's coming back. I was, I was surprised to see that. I also thought he was also out of eligibility. But to have Daniel Green back for another year, the quarterback Big. of the defense, yeah. that leadership that he's going to bring, I, I couldn't be happier for, for that. You know, he, he had to probably make a tough decision. But for him to come back, that I think that's gigantic sure. for next year. Oh, no doubt. And and really, I think most people would tell you uh, he's one of the better linebackers in this league. Uh, I don't think there's a whole lot of doubt about that. Is he the best middle linebacker? M- maybe not. But he is a <clears throat> excuse me a very very fine football player with lots of experience. And he was another guy, if I'm being totally honest, that. Played a lot of this year, not at 100%. I'm knock on wood. You see me knocking here? I'm hoping in 2023 he's healthy for, for most of the season because when he is, he's uh, he's a really good player. That was a big-time thing to happen for the program. And then, of course, you know, with, with the offensive line guys coming back for the most part intact from what we're told, and a lot of – I mean, I think most people know now that Phillip Brooks is going to come back. That's that's pretty legit Phillip too. Philip Brooks, yeah, yeah. Philip Brooks is coming back for uh-huh. his last year of eligibility yeah. uh, to play some wide receiver, which is great because I I love that they'll have somebody with all that experience. Well, and also he, he, I mean, you could probably say, and there are really good guys in this league returning punts, but you know I think he and Darius Davis are two of the better guys, and um, that'll be great to have him in that spot again. Uh, you know what, Travy, I'm going to pull a mulligan or not a mulligan, but I'm going to you know. You get us out when we need to get out for the hour. I'm just going to keep it here because I, I wanted to at least have a decent amount of time to talk about Skylar Thompson and starting in a playoff game for the Miami Dolphins. No Tua, no Teddy. It's Skylar's show. Also happens to be playing at a very tough place to play, Orchard Park, against the uh, Buffalo Bills, and they lose by three. And I'm not here – I do not want to hear any slander or any poor words – pointed towards Skylar Thompson in that game he played yesterday. That was a tough game. I thought there were too many wide receiver drops. He threw some great passes, also did not throw some good passes. Sure. Interception, that first one he threw, that was a terrible throw, Skylar. That wasn't good. Uh, But I think he did more than what people were expecting when you know they they got that final interception before the half. Skylar did his job. Fired that ball in the back of the end zone. He saw it coming. Through a great touchdown pass, um, you know I think when it comes to his chances, you know that this might be his best chance he gets in the NFL to to play in a big serious game. But at the end of the day, Miami had a fighting chance. Well, they did have a fighting chance, and and I think there's a lot of reasons why. And I think you know it's really funny to me that the I've kind of got this impression that the K State people are kind of defending him, and and I totally understand it. <laughs> He was 18 of 45, which doesn't sound very good, but he probably had at least a half a dozen drops, maybe six or seven, including one to Jalen Waddle, who rarely muffs one that poorly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll emphasize this in a big way here. It was his third NFL start, and it's a playoff game in Buffalo, one of the absolute hardest places to play. I don't think he embarrassed himself in any way. I think all of us are very proud of, of what he did. Um, and, and I think whether he fits in the long-term plans at Miami or not, maybe he proved to somebody else around the league that he deserves a little bit of a shot. And, and for that, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for him and his family. 
He, he's been through a lot. I thought he had a pretty representative ball game. To be real honest with you. Yeah, I thought it was cool. They featured his dad there for a little bit, uh-huh. uh, making the drive from the Kansas City area. That's also another thing I was hoping for. Like, if he got that win, that means he's playing in Arrowhead. And I bet that would be <laughs> that a dream something? come true oh, for yeah. Skylar Thompson. Oh, sure. Well, he's he's just he's represented himself, his family, the Cats, everybody in, in such a quality way. I mean, I don't know that any of us thought in year one in the league he would have gotten three starts and done what he's done. So way to go, Sky. Well, coming up in hour number two here on Wildcat Insider, it is a preview of the Dillon Sunflower Showdown in Bramlage Coliseum. And that's tomorrow night, number two, Kansas. And K-State drops a couple of spots in the AP. They're still number 13 in the country. It'll be the first top 15 matchup between these two teams in Manhattan in 10 years. Plus, this upcoming week in the Big 12, get a little Ask Us Anything with Wyatt as well. Hour two, Wildcat Insider. We'll also take your calls. Coming up next.